Uh, turn with me, if you would, this morning in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Um, this morning, we are going to go back to our Hebrew study. We, we spent some time away from it now. Uh, we had Missions Month in, in um, September, and I pray that that was a blessing to you and that God spoke to your heart in some way, shape, or form to where you're going to move forward in regards to your missions commitment and uh, how involved you are in, in God's plan of reaching the world with the gospel. And so I pray that that was a blessing to you, minister to your heart um, the last four weeks as we went through missions month. And now our, our goal is we're going to return back to the book of Hebrews and uh, continue to unfold it each week. And then we'll get into some, some of the holidays and we'll take another break and we'll um, we'll move through it as the Lord gives us direction and vision to do so. Um, so some of this this morning will be review and, 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 and then the rest will unfold the last part of Hebrews 4. So join me if you would. We're going to read the entire chapter of Hebrews 4. Hebrews chapter number 4. The Bible says, Therefore... While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us as well as to them, but the message that they heard did not benefit them because they, did, because they were not united by faith with those who listened or those who believe. And just a note, if you, if you haven't been following along as we've studied through the book of Hebrews, um, the whole context here is when the children of Israel have been set free from Egypt, they've entered into um, their journey to the promised land. Um, you know the complaining that takes place at the Red Sea, the complaining that takes place where they have no water, they have no um, bread or food, they don't like the food. You, you kind of you know what their journeys are um, to the point where the Lord says, okay, you're not going to enter my rest, you're now going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And the basis of their wandering in the wilderness for 40 years was their, their unwillingness to believe God's promise of rest. And they faced, they went in to spy out the land, not believing God's promise, not believing God's um, instruction. They wanted to go in and spy out the land and see if they could do it. They went in, they saw the giants, they saw all the obstacles. They said, we can't do this. And the Lord allowed them to wander into the, in the wilderness for 40 years and then ultimately brings some of them into the promised land. So this is the context here of what we're reading. Hebrews is reminding us of those, of those events and encouraging us not to harden our hearts in the same way that they hardened their hearts. In other words, when you hear the voice of God spoken to you through his word, you not harden your heart to what God has um, proclaimed in his word. Um, the promises that God have, has put in his word, the commands that God has put in his word, that we not harden our hearts towards that. And it's the same, you say, well, how do you harden your heart towards the word of God? It's the same principle that took place in the children of Israel leaving Egypt. How did they harden their hearts? The Lord gave them a promise that they were going to have rest. And what did they do? They complained and they mur murmured and they questioned and they doubted, right? That was the hardening of their heart. They refused to accept God's word and rest in him, and therefore their hearts were hardened, and they ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Some of us have wandered in our own little wildernesses for a while, haven't we? 
Some of us have been wandering around in wildernesses of complaining and murmuring and doubting and questioning God. And, we're, and the Lord is letting us wander in that wilderness and, and, and thank God he gives us an opportunity to escape that wilderness. But he also will let us wander, wander around in it if we want to it as well. He says, he goes on, read with me back to our, to our text. He says, some entered or some did not enter even though they received the promise they did not enter because they did not rest. They did not believe. They did not trust in the Lord. The Bible says, For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly, formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience or unbelief, again he appoints a certain day, saying, Today, through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And the Sabbath rest refers back to what was stated earlier. It's not, it's not when we think of the Sabbath rest being on Saturday, it's not referring to a Sabbath rest being on Saturday. It's referring to the Sabbath rest as the Lord experienced the Sabbath rest, which means that he stopped his works. He finished his works. He completed his works. They were, they were done in the same way that, that the Lord rested on the seventh day forever from his works. We also will rest, not uh, just on Saturday, but we will, we will rest forever. This is not a temporary rest. It is an eternal rest. It's not just an eternal rest that applies to eternity. It's an eternal rest that applies to today. It's something that God has given us the earnest of or the beginning of now that we experience for the rest of eternity. He says, um, in, uh, it says here, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Okay, these are some powerful verses as to, as to the penetrating perspective or view that God has of our world. Um, the terminology carries with it the idea of literally being unclothed, uh, not in a clothing type way, but unclothed of our physical bodies. In, in other words, all of these things that we can, we can manipulate and we can put on a facade or an act and we can try to look like pretty good people, the Lord said he's going he's to take all of that off and he's going to judge us as according to what's in our hearts. 
our, our motives, our, our intentions, our, our thoughts, our, our reasons for doing the things that we do. He's going to take our bodies off and he's going to judge us for what's in us. Everything is going to be naked before him. The thoughts and intentions of the heart. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So what the, what the author of, of, of this passage of scripture is doing, what the author of the end is where, where our focus will be this morning in those last three verses, what the author is doing is he, he's pushing us into a restfulness, uh, into a, a, a helping into that restfulness. In other words, we, we all need help to rest, Right? We all need help to be free from stress and to be free from worry and to be free. We, we all need help in that. We all, we all need someone to be there for us, to help us through those difficulties, to help us through those challenges. The reason the apostle or, or the, the, the author here gives us these last verses is to give us a, a picture of what that looks like. What, what, where, and how do we get that help to rest? You think about resting, many things come to our mind. Again, we often, and we, most of us have this idea of the rest that God gives us as being something that is eternal, meaning that it's just meant for the afterlife. And there is truth to that. There is a great level of rest that we will experience once we leave this world. But in addition to that, there is a restfulness that we experience while we're in this world. In reality, the scripture seems to imply that the restfulness that we will experience in eternity is something that should be manifesting itself even now as we live in this earth. The things that we expect God to do, the things that we desire God to do, the things that we look forward to God doing when we leave this world and enter into eternity should be manifesting themselves in your life and in my life today. There are things that we're looking forward to, um, such as worries, problems, troubles, difficulties, all of those things being gone in, in et- from an eternal perspective. These things should begin to manifest themselves in how we function in our lives today. We don't function as um, citizens of this earth, but we function now even as citizens of heaven. 1 John 3 tells us, Beloved, we are the children, we are God's children now, okay? We are God's children now, and what we, what we will be has not yet appeared to us, but we know that when he, Jesus, appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. In other words, that we know that one day we're going to be perfectly in the image of Christ. And we're promised in Romans 8 that he has He has predestined us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. It's already been determined, it's already been decided that we one day will be perfectly in the image of Christ. 
We don't know what that looks like, but we know that that promise is there. And what the scripture says is if you believe that promise, at the end of this verse it says, verse 3, and everyone who has this hope or everyone who believes this promise will purify themselves even as he is pure. In, In other words, if I believe something is going to be true about me in eternity, I'm going to begin the journey or the process of getting there. Abraham is a wonderful example of this when God told him, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And he told him he's going to give him this extraordinary place. Abraham had to believe God. He had to wake up, pack up all of his things, and he had to begin this journey to that place, not even knowing where he was going. The same principle applies here. The same thing is true about 1 John 3. There is a place that we're going spiritually that is perfection. We haven't arrived yet, and we won't arrive, and the only evidence or the only proof that we have that we have uh, accepted that promise is that we are journeying to get there now. Somebody who claims to have the eternal life should be manifesting eternal life today, Should should be manifesting or revealing that life in them now, not just in the future, but should be revealing that life in them now. So here's what we have in our, in, our, in our passage of scripture here. The author says in verse number 11, let us therefore, because there's a group of people who have been given the promise but never entered the rest, there's another group of people who received the promise and did enter the rest. Some believed, some did not believe. Because of that, he says in verse number 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. In, in other words, he's saying that this rest is really, really important. This rest is really, really significant that we should strive, we should uh, make effort towards entering into this rest. And this may seem somewhat like a contradiction, a striving to rest, right? Or working to, um, to not work or, or laboring to be free from labor, what, what, what the author of Hebrews is saying is, is that this is super important, this is really, really significant, that we strive to rest, that we labor and pursue this idea of restfulness. If we don't rest now, we won't rest then. So he says, let us strive to enter this rest, and then he's going to give us how that we accomplish that. It's very interesting in verse number 11, as it leads us into verse 12 and 13, he says, let us strive to enter this rest. And then verse 12 and 13, he unfolds for us how unworthy we are of entering into that rest. He he records for us how impossible it is for us to enter into this rest. Now, I want to give you this morning three things. I want to unpack three things for you about Entering into this rest uh, now in in this life, experiencing the rest of God, experiencing the contentment, the the, um, satisfaction that we, we can have and should have in this life that points us to the life that is ahead. So here's what, the, here's what the author says. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing of sunder and soul and spirit and of the joints and of the marrow and of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And no, create, no creature or no created thing is hidden from his sight, 
but all things are open and naked or exposed to him, to his eyes of whom we must give an account. So the first thing that the author does is he brings us, if you're taking notes, the first thought is clarity through desperation. Clarity through desperation. What he says is, he says, strive to enter into this rest. And then he goes on to describe for us how impossible it is for us to enter into this rest based in our own strength, based in our own effort. He, he goes on to say that your, 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 your restfulness, your righteousness, all of the good that you have is always going to fall short because it's, it's going to be weighed up against the word of God and the character of God. Everything that we do in life is weighed up against the word of God and against the character of God. The reason why we don't rest is because we're, we're always striving to satisfy or to fulfill or to, for, or to fix the problems that we have in, in life. We're always working at fixing these things, and so therefore, we never rest. What the author is doing is he's saying to us in verse 12 and 13, you can't fix it. You can't fix it. You are, you are going to be compared to, you're going to be measured up against the perfect word of God. And if that's not enough, verse 13 says you're going to be measured up against the perfect character of God in which everything is exposed before him. Everything is exposed before him. And then we're, we're, we're left, at the end of those two verses, we're left in this, in this desperate state of saying, I cannot rest. Imagine this morning, just for a moment, the author says, strive to rest. And then he lays out these, these two extraordinary um, laws for us that we have to keep to rest. What we're going to be weighed by, what we're going to be judged by. What he, what he is doing is, is he is removing us out of the way of resting. The problem with resting is, is that we're in the way of resting. We're trying to fix, we're trying to manipulate, we're trying to make something happen in resting. And so what he does is that he, 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 he brings a situation of desperation so that we then can rest in him. He removes us from all of our abilities, all of our talents, all of our sacraments and ceremonies and sacrifices, all of the things that we can do, quote unquote, to fix our sinful condition. He removes those things by saying, the word of God is the standard and the character of God is the standard and nobody can satisfy it. You will never rest until you get yourself out of the way. This is what, this is what he, is, he, is, he is instructing us with in this text. This is what he's instructing the Hebrew people with because they wanted to go back to their ceremonies and to their, and to their, and to their sacrifices and to their systems to find completeness and it wasn't going to be found there because it is impossible to find it there because that's not where it's meant to be found. He exposes us in our inability to, to rest. He exposes us in our inability to fix. He exposes us in our inability to satisfy. He lays it out that we are not capable. How does he expose us? We Already can see in our text, he exposes us by the word of God and by the character of God. 
And when we're compared to the word of God and we're compared to the character of God, we see in Romans 3, verses 10 through 23, that there is none righteous, there is none who does good. The scriptures tell us that we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. The scriptures tell us that all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. This is what we see about ourselves. This is how we get ourselves out of the way and and we find that we we can rest by, by having ourselves out of the way. We're exposed by the word of God and the character of God. The exposure leads us to desperation. It leads us to a place where we cannot help ourselves. The Bible tells us in in Romans 3 and verse number 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may become guilty or accountable before God. The word of God exposes us. It opens us up and shows us who we are. The character of God exposes us. It shows us our inability of fixing or changing ourselves. And then with this exposure, it leads us to clarity. If you'll, you'll notice in verse number 14, the first two words of this verse are, are very um, significant. And some versions say it a little bit differently. But the, the best, I believe, translation would be seeing then. My version says since then, but it's kind of the same idea. It, it is seeing something now. It, it's something that now we can see because something else has just happened. Have you, ever, have you ever had that happen before? That now it's like, okay, that's clear now because this just happened. This, it makes sense now why this is here because now I understand this. Here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Now that you understand your inability to fix things, now that you understand your inability to change things, now that you understand your inability to manipulate things, to make things right, now that you have that fixed, and maybe we should spend about another hour on that, right? Because honestly, do we have that fixed? That's really hard, isn't it? It's really hard to come to a place in your spiritual life where you say, I can't do it. But that is exactly where you need to be before you'll ever move into these last three verses where you truly are able to find help. You see, the problem is, is we don't even seek help. We don't even trust help until we get past ourselves. Because when we have ourselves, we are our own help. We are our own fixer. We we can get it figured out. So this exposure that leads to desperation ultimately leads to clarity. Let me give you a few illustrations of this. Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter number four. Nebuchadnezzar spent seven years of eating with animals. The Bible says his his claws grew out. He grew out fur and and feathers, and he, he was like an animal. Do you know what the end of Nebuchadnezzar's journey was? At the end of his days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and I praised and honor him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He sees himself, he enters into this seven-year journey by saying, I can do this, this is my great kingdom, right? At the end of it, he says, I I am nothing. Nothing but you are everything. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. He does whatever he wills, 
among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stop his hand and say, what have you done? Job spends a year of losing everything, losing his children, losing his wealth, losing his health, losing everything. In the end of Job's journey, it says this, that Job, who used to hear of God with his ears, can now see him with his eyes. What's happened is, is this, this great tribulation, this removal of self from the situation has caused our eyes to be open so that we can see clearly what is ahead of us. Until we acknowledge where we're at, we'll never be able to move forward with where, to where he wants us to be. The prodigal son is another one who, at the end of his journey, he is eating with the swine, right? You guys remember that? Eating with the pigs. He's eating with the pigs, the Bible says, that he comes to himself and he says, my father has much, his servants are treated better than I am. I will go to my father. He has his eyes open. What brought his eyes to open? What brought Job's eyes open? What brought Nebuchadnezzar's eyes open? It was the removal of self. The Lord says in his gospels, if you will be my disciple, you must first of all, first and foremost, what? You must deny yourself. You must come to the point where you stand in the presence of the word of God and the character of God and you acknowledge that you are guilty. You are guilty and there's nothing that you can do about it. You can't change your guilt. You can't alter your guilt. You can't cover your guilt. You can't replace your guilt with good works. There's nothing that you can do about your guiltiness before the word of God and the character of God. Listen, folks, this is where we all stand. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who has done good. There is no one who seeks after God. We have all sinned and fallen short of this glory. Until we get to that place, we will never rest. We will always fix. The Lord wants us to rest, seeing then, based upon, okay, I see myself in light of the word of God, and I see myself in the light of the character of God, and I am, I am incapable of anything. Seeing then, now we see something, right? Right? Isaiah, the Bible says that in the year that, Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, if you study the life of King Uzziah, he was a man who was, was greatly respected and greatly leaned upon. The Bible says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the, I saw the Lord. Do you know what had to happen before he could see the Lord? King Uzziah had to be taken out of the way because King Uzziah was the Lord. And for many of us, we are the Lord. We are the fixers. We're the ones that can take care of things. So we never rest. We never see clearly because we are, we are set in these bondages. And we are feel fearful and, and resistant to coming to that place of ultimate despair where we acknowledge that there's nothing that we can do, but there is somebody who has done everything. Here's what he sees. Number two, confidence through Christ. Clarity, clarity through despair and confidence through Christ. He says, seeing then that we have a high priest that has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect was tempted 
and as we are yet without sin. So what happens here, it's, it's a beautiful picture. You come to that state where you stand against the law of God and you stand against the character of God and you find yourself desperate and guilty and falling down before him, pleading for mercy, and then you get to see Jesus. It's made clear to you now Jesus is there. Jesus is the one that you see in that very moment. It is his mercy and his grace that come showering down on an individual that acknowledges their depravity, that accepts their sinfulness. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what does the devil do? The devil goes around the world and he says, you're good. You're okay, you're not that bad of a person because he keeps you from falling prostrate before the one who can help you. How many of us are walking this morning in our own strength and our own power and our own might through life to bring, to bring favor to God, to, bring, to rest in him and, and, and resisting the idea of acknowledging that we can't rest in him in our own strength. We won't. Exposure leads to desperation and that desperation leads to confidence in Christ. We see him clearly in this moment. Our eyes are open, our ears are open so that we can see who he is. Here's what he says about him. If you're there, just just walk with me through this. He says, since then we have a great high priest. Just stop there. We're going to look at that word great. The word great just means mega. It's the Greek word is megas, which we get our word mega. It means he is so much more significant and so much more better than the high priest of the Old Testament. That's the comparison that he's making here. Here are these high priests in the Old Testament. They went in every year. They made a sacrifice They first made a sacrifice for their own sin, then they made a sacrifice for the sins of the people, and it lasted one year. They had to go in again and again and again and again. That's the comparison. We have a high priest in Jesus Christ that is a superior high priest. He is the great high priest. He doesn't go into the He doesn't go into the Holy of Holies and make a sacrifice every year. He went into the Holy of Holies one time and he paid the price of sin forever. His his high priestly work is so much more significant than, than any of the high priests of the Old Testament. He was the intercessor that brings us to God. He is the only intercessor that's capable of bringing us to God eternally. He is the great high priest. He is superior as a high priest. He is sufficient as a savior. You'll notice number two, it says in our text, um, he says, since we have a high priest or a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the son of God, or Jesus, the son of God. In that that simple phrase, you have the connection of Jesus Christ divine and Jesus Christ man. He is a sufficient savior. He is fully God and he is fully man. He purchased us by his own blood. The Bible says not only that, but it says that he has passed through the heavens. What does it mean that he has passed through the heavens? The implication is clear that he, as the high priest, went into the heaven of heavens and he sprinkled his own blood on the mercy seat, making 
making purification for sins forever. He tells us in Romans 9, verse 24 through 26, but Christ has entered not into the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true thing, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest entered the holy places every year with blood, not his own. But then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is now, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus Christ entered into the holy of holies that was in heaven. He sprinkled his own blood, his own perfect blood, his own sufficient blood on the mercy seat. And it was accepted by the Father. And the Bible says that he now sits at the right hand of God, ever living to make intercession for us. Jesus Christ was sufficient as our Savior. He is a sufficient mediator. Number three, he is, a sympath he is sympathetic towards our weaknesses. The Bible says, for we do not have a high priest who is not able to sympathize with our weaknesses. In, in other words, the Lord says, we do not have somebody that is mediating for us who doesn't understand us. We don't have a mediator, one who has gone between us, who, doesn't, who hasn't been touched by our difficulties, by our challenges, by our weaknesses, by our frailties. He's been touched by these things in a very real way. He's experienced these things in a very real way. Jesus Christ has seen and felt the things that we see and feel. And his heart was perfectly compassionate towards those of us who suffered. He understands us. He understands what we're going through and what, we're, what our difficulties are. To, to be able to rest in him is not to be able to rest into some distant God who doesn't care. It is to rest in somebody who walked on the earth, who, who stood at gravesides with people crying and wept with them, felt the emotions of what they were going through, and then, and then raised the dead. He, he stood with people who were sick. He stood with people who were poor and didn't have any money. He stood with all of these people. He understands us. He's not asking us to rest in something that, in someone that doesn't understand what we've been through, but he understands the the word literally means that he feels what we feel. He knows what you're going through. There's nothing that you will ever go through from a perspective of difficulty that Jesus Christ doesn't 110% understand. There's nothing that you will ever face that Jesus Christ doesn't understand. That's what it means when he says that he's a sympathetic high priest. He is sympathetic towards Everything that we go through, he understands us. Not only is he a sympathetic high priest, a sufficient savior, a superior high priest, but he's a successful over all of our temptations. He says that he's, he's sympathetic with our weaknesses, but he also says one who is in every respect has been tempted or tried as we are, yet without sin. In other words, Jesus Christ faced the temptation of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And Jesus Christ never 
gave in to them. Well, the issue is that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ faced every challenge that you face in life. He faced every challenge that you face, face in life. He understands, first of all, he understands our frailties and our weaknesses, right? He tells us in the Psalms that he understands that we are but dust, right? He gets that. He gets that we're broken. He gets that we're broken. He doesn't need us to try to convince him that we're not broken. He gets that we're broken. He not only gets that we're broken, but he is powerful enough to overcome all of our troubles, all of our trials, all of our difficulties. The Lord Jesus Christ is able to overcome them because he himself has overcome them. He is a sympathetic high priest understanding everything that we have gone through, every felt what we experience, hunger, uh, tiredness. He's felt it all. And he has been successful over every challenge that we, that we face. And then as we close out this, cha- this, this, this chapter, he says this. So here's the conclusion. Here's the conclusion. Here's what he says. Let us then, there's that word then, almost like seeing then, but now he's using that word in a different context. Here's what we know about Christ. We have this confidence because Christ is sufficient. He is powerful. He is understanding. We have this extraordinary confidence in Christ. Now he says, let us, here's the result of this. What does he tell us to do? He says, here's the application. Here's the action. Here's what you and I need to do. He says, let us draw near to what? He says, let us draw near. I want to stop early before we finish that. He says, let us draw near to the throne. Let's leave the rest off. We'll, we'll touch on that in a moment. What is the throne? What is the throne always a representation of in the Bible? It's a representation of authority. It's a representation of, in many cases, condemnation or judgment. When you talk about entering into the throne or entering into the presence of God's throne, you're talking about something that's very, very difficult and very, very significant. You see, rest, you you guys have been here before, rest is not by the removal of our problems. It's not by covering up our problems. Rest is when when our problems have been dealt with, right? We're able to lay in bed at night and sleep knowing that we dealt with our problems throughout the day. So, so rest, is not, rest is not when we found satisfaction in something that has covered our sins or um, something that we quote unquote did to substitute for our sins. You know, there are some religions out there that will teach you that if you've done this many bad deeds, if you do this many bad, good deeds, you offset those deeds, right? Okay, that's not biblical, it's not true. So you're talking about here, I am going to enter into the throne of God. I'm going to enter into the presence of God's authority. I'm going to enter into the presence of God's holiness. I'm entering into God's holiness as a broken and fallen individual who has extreme confidence in whom? Okay, we, we've removed ourselves, right? 
So we're not confident in ourselves. We're entering into the throne of God based upon confidence in whom? We enter into it based upon confidence in Jesus. What we find when we enter into the throne of God, this this place of extraordinary holiness and justice, what we find when we enter into it is we find grace. We find that we're entering now into the throne room of grace. That throne room before we were saved, that before we trusted in Jesus, before we got ourselves out of the way, that throne room was a throne room of judgment. It was a throne room of condemnation. The reason why people don't want to enter into the throne room of God is because they're afraid to enter into the throne room of God. But by removing self and embracing Christ, we are able to enter into the throne room of God, draw near to the throne room of God. Draw near to the throne of God because of it is now a throne of grace. You think about what the Bible says to us in John 3 when it talks about that light came into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Therefore, they did what? They ran from the light. They ran from the light. They did not want to be exposed. But yet those who embraced Christ, the Bible says that they came into the light, that their deeds might be seen, that they have been done in God. In other words, that God has done them in us. So let, let, just real quick, he says, let us with confidence, the word confidence here means open, open-mouthed. No, you, you ever been afraid to speak? Okay, this term would go against that. This is a freedom of, of voice, freedom of speech. There's nothing that you cannot say to God when you enter into his throne room of grace. There's nothing you can't say to him when you enter into his throne of grace so that we enter in with confidence and we draw near to the Lord of grace and we receive mercy that we may receive mercy, which is forgiveness. It is, it is a kindness towards us who are sinful. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserved and find grace to help in times of need. And the word time there just means seasons. When we enter into the throne, so, we, so, we, so, so here's the picture. We all need help, right? If we're gonna rest, we need help. If I'm gonna rest, I'm gonna need some help to rest. So first step is get, get myself out of the way. I can't force myself, make myself fix things so well that I can rest. Forget it, okay? Get myself out of the way, then find out what has Jesus Christ done for me? What has Jesus Christ accomplished so that I can rest? And then once we have, once we have accepted that, once we have embraced that, we can now enter into God's presence, into his holy uh, into his throne room, a place of holiness and perfection, and we can come there with confidence and boldness and freedom of speech and freedom of voice because we have embraced what Christ has done for us. We can draw near to that throne and we can know that our sins have been, have been paid for. And then we can find mercy, which is forgiveness, and we can experience grace, which is strength, to help us in times of difficulty. So we all we all need to we all we all need to be there. We're all we're all we're all we all struggle with the temptation of self. We all struggle with the challenge of 
entering into that rest. The only way to get there is to deny yourself. Deny that, accept that you can't do it. Embrace the fact that Jesus Christ has already done it. And draw near to God for sanctification, for forgiveness, for help with confidence in what Christ Jesus has done for you. My prayer for you today is that if you're here and you have, you have been struggling and you have been trying and you have been working and you have been doing all of these things, but there is no rest, spiritual rest in your life, my, my challenge to you is that you, would, that you would stop trying and start trusting. And that you would draw near into that place of forgiveness, that place of authority, that place of holiness and find that the Lord is there to forgive and the Lord is there to help. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the, uh, the rest that you give. And we pray that you would help each one of us to embrace it, embrace it not based upon what we can accomplish or what we can do, but Lord, based upon what Christ Jesus has done for us. Help us to live contented, satisfied, fulfilled because of what Christ has done, not associated with what we have done. Help us, I pray, in Jesus.